0: Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. Um, We are in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. So yeah, this letter from Paul to Timothy, uh, we've been seeing him encourage his protege, Timothy, Um, to keep going in a tricky kind of context, um, keep kind of leading the church in Ephesus, um, despite some false teaching, he's already mentioned some false teaching that's happening, which has been affecting the church that Timothy is leading. Um, Last week we were looking especially at some foundational truths upon which the church is built. Um, And this passage returns to the issue of false teaching uh, we're going to be looking at verses just verses one to five of 1 Timothy um, chapter four so my first question for you guys I've got uh, Helen and Juliet with me here um, to me and two Hermione's. So we're going to see how that goes um, <laughs> so yeah my first question for you guys is how do these verses you know which kind of focus a bit more on the false teaching and what what is being kind of leaking into the church how does that link how does that link to what Paul's just said at the end of chapter three okay so every time I speak there's going to be some background
1: noise because there's just some renovation in the flat below us so um so we ended last week looking at the mystery of the Christian faith and this liturgy that was proclaiming uh the truths that we we hold to as believers and so then Straight away, we're faced this week with people who have, um, what does it say, Uh, uh, departed from the faith, which essentially means like abandoning the essential teachings of uh, Christianity, the essential things that we held to.
0: Yeah, great. So these false teachers are essentially departing from the truth that we looked at last week, um, like God's truth, the truth. Yeah, that's right. So... Looking at verse one, it kind of sets the tone for these verses, doesn't it? It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, apart from the faith, and so on. What does it mean to depart from the faith? Or I think if you look at the Greek, it's linked to the word Where And when when is slash will this happen? What does it mean when it says in
2: later times? Uh, so the general consensus is that when it talks about um later times it means sort of the time that paul is writing to timothy and the future so it's it's um basically it's something that's occurring now something that will occur now we should not be surprised by it um that people will yeah depart from the faith and it's that idea of um apostasy so the the abandonment or the renunciation or the turning away from uh, the the belief. Um, I think, as I was reading this, I was like, the word depart, some will depart. It sounds almost like it's like a sudden thing, but actually it's so often, isn't it, a slippery slope? When I think about people I know who have departed from the faith, it, it's usually something small has happened and, you know, just little drip by drip by drip by drip. And then suddenly um, they're, they're departing from the faith. It was, uh, yeah, it just struck me with that, that the way that the English comes out, it says some will depart from the faith as in it's a sudden thing, but really in reality, it's, it's rarely that.
1: And it's quite a painful experience, isn't it? I think in just that idea of departing from the faith can, it's quite emotive and we can probably if you've been a Christian for long enough you'll probably know people that have departed
0: from the faith in this way. Yeah cool and so do like tell let's talk about the process of that because Paul goes into a bit more detail here doesn't he about um, what it looks like to to part from the faith. So I guess we're thinking still the latter part of verse one. And yeah, what's going on? Because it talks about the spirit here, doesn't it, in verse one. So the Holy Spirit, and then it talks about demons. We've got demons in verse one. And then we've we've got the conscience mentioned as well. I guess it feels like all of those things are in the arena of spiritual warfare that we're in. Um, Can either of you just, yeah, give us a bit more background to those things and how they're at play in this church and I guess in our lives and potentially in our churches. I guess we can look back to the garden, can't we, and see uh,
1: the deceitfulness of the devil there and twisting the word of God. And I feel like that's very much our experience now that the word of God is twisted from what it is to something else. And um, that would fit with his deceiving spirits, the deception that, that comes with that. And then uh, I think the doc- doctrines of demons is like the false teaching that we experience. And so all of these are a departure from the truth to something that's different from that.
2: Yeah, it was the same for me as I was reading this. I was thinking about um, the fall and how actually the question the question that um, the devil asks of Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, was sort of the first de- demonic doctrine, wasn't it? And I think it fits in as well with that slippery slope that we were just talking about. It wasn't a Eve this isn't true it you know like god doesn't love you it was a small suggestion gently questioning the true gospel and 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 um just the idea with eden you know like eden was glorious and incredible and everything that you could ever need was there and yet just this little question dropped in by somebody a false teacher trying to lead trying to deceive the human race and lead them astray um, has resulted in awfulness in the same way at the end of chapter three you've got this glorious gospel that has just been celebrated in chapter three and now Paul's talking about deception false teachers demonic doctrines that are leading people away from the gloriousness of the true gospel
0: mm. and the mention of conscience being seared here when I first read that I thought that meant you know your conscience has kind of been piqued by something but actually the word seared um, is to do with uh it's kind of linked to the idea of cauterization so it's like when something's cauterized it's burnt to the extent that it doesn't feel anymore um like it's almost deadened and I guess like we were talking before like the it's often a slow and slippery slope to abandon the faith isn't it but it's also like a slow and slippery slope of our consciences being deadened like often it's not one massive bad decision that we make but it's a kind of series of little decisions and little temptations that we gradually kind of slip into and before you know it you're like way out of your depth um so I think yeah these things that the spirit kind of warns doesn't he um the spirit uh reveals things to us like he's very much at play in spiritual warfare and then you have the kind of demons who are uh deceiving and tempting and then uh, you know we have these god-given consciences which we can listen to or we can choose not to i mean i was challenged by this like have I, at some points in my walk, kind of deadened my conscience to something? Or am I in the process of deadening my conscience to something? I think it's a warning for all of us.
2: I thought that, um, as I was mulling over this, that actually our consciences are such a gift. Mm. Because God has given us the tools to um, avoid the slippery slope. Mm. You know, it's not like he's like, okay, it's set us off into the darkness there you go on your own he's given us um the ability to to spot when there's an issue and not only us ourselves but he's also given us christian brothers and sisters who are able to help us and keep us um on the right path and keep keeping our eyes fixed on the prize it's not a um yeah we're not abandoned we're we're equipped cool and
0: so Moving through to kind of verses three to five. So what are these false teachers actually forbidding in these verses? I don't think this is a an, um, an exclusive list, but I think it's something that is definitely uh, happening in the church in Ephesus. Why do you think these things in particular are being taught uh, as, you know, kind of falsely taught to people in the church?
1: so yeah in the reading that i did i think this was key to the false teaching being shared at the time and part of that was actually that people gained holiness or gain were justified by giving up these things giving up food giving up marriage and that in doing that they would be given holiness or being um were justified by those actions.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think this teaching, um the name of it could be um ascetism, you know, the the intentional denial of things that God has declared to be good, almost as if like, I've given up these things, God, now you owe me my salvation. And so it's it's I mean it's just awful, isn't it? Like it questions the goodness of the creator. So this thing that you've given me is not good and i should deny it uh, i should be denied it in order to earn my salvation but also it then costs um it questions the ability of jesus the sufficiency of jesus's work on the cross to save us it's not just a question of oh this is for my good it's a this is how i can earn my salvation And therefore, what God has provided for us through Jesus is not good enough. And I need to do this instead or additionally.
1: And I think it also raises yourself to the position of God. Like God is one that can be manipulated by you. You're the one that's doing all of the things required so that God gives you mercy or grace. So you're actually taking the position that God has.
2: Yeah, and something else I read as well said that maybe the denial of marriage, so um, yeah, the denial of marriage and the denial of certain foods was linked to this idea um, of a false teaching about the resurrection. Some people were teaching that the resurrection of believers had already occurred. And so those believers had to live above sort of the physical realm if they're godly and so they shouldn't need the same food they shouldn't do the same things as the general population because they're godly and they've been already resurrected and therefore they are uh they don't need these things they're better they don't their physical needs are not as much but all those things aren't they are answered in verses four and five of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy for everything created by God is good um, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving so whether it's this sort of dualism, this resurrection has already happened, false teaching or whether it's um, about ascetism and whether you can deny things to yourself and therefore be saved, all of it is answered in in verse 4, everything created by God is good
0: it's interesting though, isn't it? Like, I guess the temptation of the kind of, you know, I am more holy if I abstain from this or that. It is tempting, isn't it? And it's kind of uh, on legalism. And it feels good, doesn't it? To look like this Christian who uh, does these special things and is on like another level. But actually it's, it's yeah, it, it can kill us. Legalism kills, doesn't it? Uh it kills our faith. I was going to add that like, because then it's the
1: sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And I think like the, uh, the word of God can be, you can see that all through the passages that Helen mentioned, like, especially in Genesis, when God said that it was good. And so these things, and um, yeah, and then in Acts 10, and so we can see that actually, yeah God said that it's good so we should receive it with thanksgiving you know we're, we're going against his word if he says it's good and we are saying it's something else then you're going against God effectively and you're mm. also not receiving it with this thankful thankfulness because you're acknowledging that it's from God and I feel like when you have thanksgiving you're actually recognizing that god is over us and he is our god and he's giving us all the things that we have are from him and so it's like a almost what we saw before was a reversal of the shift of our position before god us trying to be god and sacrifice and do all these things and then now in our thankfulness we are putting him in his rightful place and we are receiving from him rightly.
2: Yeah, I think the key part of um looking at verse 5 is the emphasis is on prayer um and thanking God for the blessing of providing rather than asking God to bless it and make the food holy like it's not it's not a superstitious or um ritualistic thing. It's much more of a like Juliet said making sure that we place ourselves in the correct position in relation to god
0: right like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis you know this is a brilliant principle and you know yes we should receive god's gifts with thanksgiving i mean you mentioned saying grace before food or whatever but i guess on a yeah on a day-to-day basis what does this and what does it look like to fight against uh the opposite which is kind of I guess, legalism, what does that look like for you guys on a day-to-day basis?
2: As I was mulling this over, I was thinking, okay, so all things are good. So everything created by God is good. And so my mind started thinking about, okay, so then all things have the potential to be for my benefit. How then does that work out in terms of what I do, what I say, what I choose to experience, what I choose to watch, what I choose to listen to, all these things, mm. if they're intrin- like intrinsically good, what does that look like in my life? And I guess the thing that struck me most was actually that often it's when I start to look at those things or use those things for things that I should be looking to Jesus and God for. You know, mm. where do I find my comfort? Do I find my comfort in food or... Mm. um? watching some trashy TV, that's where the danger lies. So one of the things that I've started doing off the back of studying this passage actually is um, mm-hmm. sitting down in my quiet time in the morning and just say, writing, thank you for this thing, but then also praying um, writing, please help protect my heart from this thing in relation to that. Because I want Mm. to thank God, but I also want to protect my heart and mind and soul from that thing in some ways. Not because that thing is intrinsically bad, but because I am intrinsically bad and will look to those things for support when I should not.
1: I think for um, me, I feel like um, in the line of work that we are in, it can feel like, oh, we have sacrificed and... I think sometimes there's a temptation to think oh I've sacrificed so I should get some blessings in return I guess this <laughs> passage is great because then it convicts that actually in this line of work we do get lots of blessings but in <laughs> I don't even know what to say <laughs> I could hear the drilling and I'm like I don't know <laughs> Let me... Julia are you
0: thankful for the drilling today?
1: Uh, <laughs> well I'm thankful I'm actually qu- a little bit because I'm hoping that it'll be over <laughs> by tomorrow because we've got loads of people coming to our house. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> hoping, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it'll be over <laughs> by tomorrow. Yeah, probably if it's continuing tomorrow, I won't be so thankful. Yeah, I, th- I think I've just been convicted by this passage that, like, where is it in my life where I feel like I'm sacrificing and expecting something in return for that? And mm-hmm. I feel that's a... Um, that's something that needs to be brought before God and and yeah I think he uses that recognition because that's the conscience prompting you so I just think that that's a really good thing and I've been trying to respond just in thankfulness in different ways um this week it's just a really good reminder I feel to just be thankful for the different things that we have
2: I think partly um That comes from the front of church. Like, is the true gospel being proclaimed? If it is, then the emphasis of the church will be on that true gospel. You know, just Mm -hmm. linking back to the false teaching in this passage, they're they're being led astray to focus on other things for their salvation by the false teachers whether that's massive things or whether it's tiny, tiny little things that eventually lead people astray. And so for us in the church today, as people who attend churches, not necessarily leading them, the question is, is that that the true gospel being taught in in those gatherings? And and is it the focus of the church? Because if it is, then other things are, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's helpful and do you so were you guys struck by anything else in this passage or challenged by anything else in this passage or shall we draw stumps there i was really struck by the first part just like that
1: actually in our experience some will depart from the faith and it's i feel like sometimes i'm surprised by this and but actually it is a real thing. And yeah, the word of God helps us prepare for these times. And also, I feel like it's not an area where we can, we should just give up. um, Because they have been deceived, but I feel like there is still space. Um, even before in this letter, um, Paul has written like, you know, pray for them and um, share with them. And I feel like there's space for speaking truth into people who have departed from the faith or um, are, you know, you might see them going on the slippery slope and not know what to say. But I feel like we need to encourage each other to speak words of truth and words of love and be praying that the Spirit is working in their hearts to um, to that truth.
0: Mm. I guess as well, like, in this seeing all things from God as good, we mustn't, you know, it, I think the reason Paul includes conscience in there is the fact that, yes, God created all things, but there are things, aren't there, that are in our world that are not good for us. Like, yes, God created books and he... You know, he gives people the gift of writing, but does that mean that trashy novels are good for our hearts? And, you know, yes, God makes some people want to be actors. But should we spend three hours a night on Netflix like Helen was about to say before she lost her connection? There's this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, which where Paul's saying, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's a warning, isn't it, for us that um, God gives us good things and we must receive them with thankfulness and enjoy them. But also, yeah, listen to our consciences, listen to the spirit um, and be open to being challenged on what is there in our lives that is not beneficial um, that we are doing and um, it's definitely that's definitely like i said earlier been a challenge for me this week so yeah i enjoyed looking at this with you guys um thanks for listening everyone and we will see you next week for the next bit of one timothy bye bye